welcome back to Refuge Radio. I'm Gaines Taylor, he, him. And I am Brendan Bell, he, him. Awesome. All right. So we are on number six, I think. I don't really know where we're at this weekend as i've we've been talking off air it's it's been a weekend and that's a potential new podcast we're talking about it's been a weekend (laughs) um anyway uh welcome back everyone today we're talking with jenna dewitt uh pronouns she her uh she's an aromantic asexual methodist and she lives in sunny southern california which I'm very jealous of the sunny part right now Uh, and spends her time advocating for queer belonging in the church. She, you're going to be able to find her on Twitter at Jenna underscore DeWitt and her blog, invisible cake society. And that's invisible So I think we had a great discussion today with her. I really enjoyed it. I also learned a lot, which is always good. So same. I was I was very inspired by her story. Um, oh yeah, she's just a person with such great resilience, and I think our listeners, y'all, are gonna get you're gonna get a lot out of um, hearing her story and hearing her perspective. I think she highlights a section of the queer community that often doesn't have a voice and doesn't have a platform and is not visible in media or in different formats uh, for reasons that I think Jenna goes into very beautifully. So I hope you get a lot out of it. I know I did. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, let's not waste any more time and uh, jump right in. Sounds good. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. Again, um, I would just like to welcome Jenna Dewitt to our show. Jenna, do you want to introduce yourselves to our listeners? Sure. It's good to be here. Thanks, Brendan. My name is Jenna Dewitt. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm here today to talk about queer Christian Twitter and aromanticism and asexuality. Awesome. And so can you kind of unpack that a little bit for us? What, what, does, what are those things? What do those things look like? And what are you all hoping to accomplish um, with those forums? Sure. Um, So probably most of your listeners, if they know me at all, uh, probably know me from a list I created. So there was lots of uh, weird Christian Twitter and weird Methodist Twitter. And there's all kind of these these segments of Christian Twitter that were kind of forming. And I thought like, wow, wouldn't this be cool if we had one that was specifically for queer Christian Twitter? Because often in our circles, it's really common to feel like you have to choose between your religion and your orientation or your gender identity. And that's just not true, um, as this podcast attests. You can still be Christian or whatever religion you identify as or a person of faith just in general, and you don't have to give up that in order to be your whole authentic self as a queer person, um, no matter what, where you fall under that big, broad umbrella. Um, so I wanted to kind of create that to help us feel less alone and to help people who wanted to come out feel like they're not the only one. Often, if you're in a local church, even a local church that is affirming already, you might be the only queer person there. Um, so even if you're surrounded by these well-meaning allies, like you might feel very alone or um, 
alone in your specific label or identity. That's really common, especially for mine, which um, are aromanticism and asexuality, which we'll go into in a bit. I also have a blog that's Invisible Cake Society. So if you see that link floating around, uh, that's me. So I have all these resources to help you find a church, to find, connect, get connected with your denomination specific resources, lots of different fun things there that I've just collaborated with a bunch of people across Twitter and across social media to form all these resources into one. I've got one that's about affirming theology. And so a big old reading list for you and videos and articles and things that can kind of help if you have somebody come at you and say like, how can you believe this? The Bible is clear or will we take the Bible seriously here? Or you're just conforming to the culture. And so I have this big reading list for them that's queer theology in the Bible um, that you can just send them and say, here you go, do your homework. I'm not going to do it for you. So a I've just compiled a bunch of resources, uh, totally crowdsourced. I have not read all these things. I've not read all these books. I haven't gone through all the courses, but just wanted to put a centralized location for people to be able to find resources to connect your faith and your uh, queerness. I love that. I also low-key was like, oof, I have heard that so many times when you said, we take the Bible seriously here. That's like such a, a loaded phrase that I think a lot of us in the queer community can identify with being told to us or told at us, really. <laughs> for sure, yeah. Um, Definitely. And it can be very offensive, I think, for many of us. I know uh, for myself and many people in the queer community, we take the Bible very seriously. And we, a lot of us have studied the Bible academically. And so it's like, it's, yeah, but it is, it's a very common thing that we hear. And I, I love that uh, you have created this list of resources for people. I think that can be really meaningful for both queer people that are kind of struggling with this intersection of queerness and spirituality and religious identity. And then even just for people that um, maybe have a friend or a family member that's coming out to them um, and kind of helping them wrestle through that. That's awesome. That's really wonderful. So another resource list I have is resources um, to introduce people to the concept of my identity specifically. So there's a resource list about irromanticism and about asexuality. And those are kind of combined into one because there's just not a lot of resources about aromanticism out there yet beyond just like the very basics. Um, so I wanted to kind of help create that list. And I think it's important to me to have both of these under one umbrella because not only are they two parts of my identity of being a queer Christian and also being part of um, a lesser known identity, but that also if these resources and this Twitter list and things like this that I help lead are queer led and aromanticism led and like asexuality led, like that opens up the door so much broader because nobody has to wonder if it's an inclusive space because when you're being led by like the last letter in the acronym of LGBTQIA, and we get chopped off and forgotten a lot, or people say like, oh, that's the A is for allies, or you know, things like that. Like, people don't even know what it means, um, which I can help explain that in, in a second. But you know, like, it's important to me that if we're leading from a place of like, the people who get chopped off all the time are the ones doing the compiling of resources and the ones leading things, then that just kind of opens up the table so much broader if you don't have to worry about if your identity is included or am I welcome here? Because um, yeah, it's a big broad table for everybody. That's awesome. So Jenna, I'm wondering if for our listeners, if you would feel comfortable kind of unpacking a little bit um, about the asexual and the aromantic community and kind of what that looks like. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, for those who are wondering, um, I keep saying these words and they're probably like, what does that even mean? There's so many letters. We're adding letters. No, we're not. 
we've been here forever. It's just a lack of that attraction. So just like how a gay guy is not attracted to women and does not experience that attraction, um, whereas like a lesbian woman would not necessarily be attracted to men most of the time. I mean, there's some debate about labels and who uses what labels and everything, but let's, let's just say like the basics of the label. If let's say you're only attracted to people of your same gender. Um, and then we also have the opposite where it's like a straight person would not be attracted to, the, to their same gender. And it's, so it's, it's sort of the none of the above option that usually life hands you, like, are you attracted to one gender? Are you attracted to multiple genders? And then it's like the, you know, all of the above, the none of the above, you know, it's like, we are like the none of the above option. And so um, it's inherent to queerness, but it's a lot less visible because, you know, if you have two guys walking down the street, holding hands and kissing and being in relationships and getting married and that sort of thing, like that's very visible and it's, it attracts a lot of hate and a lot of bigotry, but then it also, you can see that there's representation for you, that you can have a romantic comedy that has two women in it and they're in a couple. And you can see that without them ever having to like say, I am bisexual and that's what this means. And you know, like, yeah, I should like give the Ted talk every time. Like people know what a gay couple <laughs> right. is like, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so it's just kind of like come um, out of so much oppression and so much bigotry and there's been so much, uh, so many laws against it and things that have been very, very aware and visible of what it is for better or worse. Asexuality, not so much. Aromanticism, not yeah. so much because um, it, when we have no attraction and we don't want to be defined by our lack that um, there's just not a lot out there to, to be real visible about that. So we don't have romantic attraction if you're aromantic and you don't have a, a sexual attraction if you're asexual. So those things people usually think of as being in one. You might say like, I'm bisexual. And by that, you mean I am both romantically and sexually attracted to multiple genders. Yep. If you say that you're gay, you generally mean you're both romantically and sexually attracted to your same gender. But that's not necessarily true for everybody. And it's not even true like on a spectrum. So you've got the people who might be aromantic, but allosexual, which allo is like A-L-L-O. And that just means like you experience attraction. And so you have people who are also alloromantic and asexual. So they do experience romantic attraction. Like you could be biromantic and have romantic attraction to, to multiple genders, but no sexual attraction. And so you would be biromantic asexual. So you can kind of mix and match your labels with whatever fits you best. And then there's all other kinds of attractions like, um, yeah, I don't have romantic attraction and I don't have sexual attraction. But I do have a lot of aesthetic attraction. So it's like, oh, wow, that girl is really pretty. And she's just really pretty. And it's like, so people are like, so you want to date her, right? And I'm like, no, I don't want to date her. Like, why would I ever want to do that? Like, I just want to look at her all day. She's gorgeous. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to set her to my phone background. <laughs> like, you know, it's just like, it's so pretty. Like a sunset or a gorgeous, like, like cake or, you know, whatever. Like, it's like, you just want to watch yeah. it all day. It's so, or a puppy is so cute. And it's just so cute. And it's like, you know, I, I don't want to like date the puppy. I just like think it's really cute um so i think that's a good way of describing aesthetic attraction is like art and then there's platonic attraction whereas like i feel a really strong bond with somebody and it's like you know you want to be in a relationship with them but that relationship i don't i don't think of it in a dating way i don't think of it in a romantic way like i just want to be their best friend forever and like two peas in a pod and like our you know our friend group kind of thing and, and be committed to each other as friends but like i don't really want to kiss them i don't I don't feel any sort of sexual thing going on there. Like that's not what it's about. It's just, it's a friend thing, but it's a really strong attraction as if it were to a romantic partner. It's just not of that nature. So these are kind of that 
like galaxy brain, like mind blowing things of like people who just don't have to think about it. Don't necessarily walk around in life thinking yeah. like, oh, wow, I'm really aesthetically attracted to that person. They just think of it as attraction as a whole, because that's generally it kind of lines up for everybody. So I don't know. I think if you're listening to this and you are feeling really confused because you find yourself attracted to somebody, but it's not in the ways that people expect you to be, maybe explore that spectrum of attraction. There's also the frequency spectrum, which uh, sounds like a radio thing, but it's actually just like how how you fit into a sexuality or how you fit into aromanticism. So some people are gray and that means they rarely experience that kind of attraction. And some people are dimmy. And that means that after they have a really close bond with somebody, they start to experience that kind of attraction with them. So they wouldn't normally experience it. Like, let's say you're demisexual. It's like, I don't really experience sexual attraction ever. I just don't, that's not part of my experience of the world, except for this one time. I got really close to somebody, let's say, like, let's say I had a good friend or that I was dating somebody or, you know, you're in a close relationship with them and you went, oh my God, I think I'm sexually attracted to them. And that's kind of what being demisexual is like. It's just this experience of like, oh, that's what sexual attraction, you know, you're like, you're like here it is. Um, so yep. after you have that bond with that one really specific person, though, it's not like you just walk around feeling it all day, all the time. And then there's other little labels on there too. Um, so you might hear about ego romanticism and ego sexuality um, is really liberating for a lot of people because you don't necessarily want it or experience it yourself, but you really appreciate and can see that spark and why it's special and why people love it in media. So it's like, I didn't ever consider myself a romantic and it took a long time for me to get there because I really love romantic comedies. I really love, you know, I love hearing about other people's relationships, like I liked it when somebody had a crush on me because it made me feel special. And it was like, oh, like this guy thinks I'm beautiful. Like, that's so cool. You know, and, and I didn't necessarily feel romantic attraction for them, but like being the, having those romantic things was really cool. So I think that's uh, a good way to describe like ego, ego romantic and ego sexual is like, I don't necessarily want this and I don't want part of it myself. Like, please don't involve me. Like, I don't want a wedding, but I would love to help you plan your wedding. Like, I think it's adorable and it's like so cool and I'm really happy for you. So you know, that's kind of where people don't think that they can be asexual or they don't think they can be aromantic because they're like, but I don't hate Valentine's Day. I don't, you know, I don't think sex is gross. Like I, I just... I don't want it, but I think it's interesting or I think it's funny or, you know, like there's all sorts of things that people are like, oh, well, I can't be this because I really love romantic novels or, you know, whatever. So I, I think that these micro labels, as you can kind of learn more about what asexuality and what aromanticism are, you go from thinking like, oh, that could never be me. That's not me at all. To then being like, oh, wait, there's something here for me. This resonates with me. Maybe I identify a little bit more with this, or at least you can kind of empathize with people who do, even if it's not your experience. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. I really appreciated you breaking down for our listeners, the difference between kind of like a sexual orientation and a romantic orientation. I think that is something that even um, as gay people, we take for granted or we just, it doesn't kind of compute because we have our romantic orientation and our sexual orientation kind of are in sync with each other. And then of course the broader like heterosexual community, those things like are go hand in hand. And so for a lot of people I know in the asexual community, that is not the case. And so I really appreciate you bringing that up and kind of talking through that with us. I think that's really important. But Jenna, I would love to hear if whatever you're comfortable talking about, 
for yourself, when did you kind of first begin to think there's something for me here in the asexual community and the aromantic community? What did that journey of discovery look like for you? And what were, I guess, some significant moments along the way that you were like, yes, like this is who I am. I resonate with this. Yeah, I think as a teenager, I started to kind of understand that other people were experiencing something that I was not experiencing. And so there's just so much in society, we call it a modern normativity. And that's that from the day you're born, your parents are saving for your wedding. And if you have little friends in preschool of the opposite gender, then it's like, oh, they're dating. And it's like, even into like elementary school, like you're so surrounded, especially for girls, but I think for guys as well, um, really being surrounded by these like Disney princess, fairy tale, happily ever after, like success in life is finding a partner. And that partner must be, you know, heterosexual. And that's kind of like the path that is carved out for you from the literally like before you're even born. And so I was kind of just following along that path of that is what we do as teenagers, we date. And there was this whole purity thing that started to get a lot of traction in the early 2000s, um, right as I was becoming a teenager. And so, um, you know, there's all of this talk about like how difficult it was and how, you know, you had to be very careful that you couldn't go too far. And, you know, if you hold hands, that might lead to something bad, <laughs> something worse, <laughs> or something bad. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's just like you, you get so indoctrinated in this culture that it's like, if you have a friendship between a girl and a guy, that must automatically mean that you're dating. Like you can't have your closest friend be um, of the opposite gender, be opposite. I'm using opposite in quotation marks because the gender is not a binary, but uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's, it's yeah. so like pigeonholed into this. And so I dated some guys that were really great. They were so good. Like I did it like the best you could want for your daughter. Like really like the, they were amazing. This was not a situation of like Jenna hates men. Uh, this was a situation of, I had a really great thing. And I was kind of in that relationship going like, I don't know that I necessarily want this to be romantic, but I really want it to, to be a thing. Like, I, you know, it, it was kind of one of those things that it was just like, I guess this is what we have to do. We, you know, we have, I like, we keep kissing and I'm like, I'm eventually this is going to work for me. <laughs> Like this has to mean something eventually. Teenagers are just really bad at it. That relationship ended just from circumstance. And I got talking to more and more teenagers um, and my junior and senior year of high school and the way that they talked about potentially finding a partner. And it was like something that they genuinely desired. It was not just like, well, you know, you grow up, you get a job, you pay your bills, you pay, pay your mortgage and you have to have sex. And that's just the way it kind of goes is that's what adults do is you pay taxes and you have to get married and have sex. And that's just what we do as adults. And I, once I kind of realized that that was not how they were reacting to things, you know, it was like, they really genuinely had a hard time with this. And they, they really, really did have to work very hard to like, quote, maintain their purity. And it wasn't just like, you know, for me, it was just like, oh, good. We don't have to talk about sex anymore. Like, let's talk about important things like saving the world. And, you know, let's, let's talk about things that are important, like feminism. You know, it's like, yeah. I didn't want any more songs. Like, I got really into Christian music, not because I was like that evangelical, but like, I just genuinely like was really done with songs about sex and, you know, dancing and that sort of thing. Like, you know, where it's like, oh, we're all rubbing up on each other. And I was just like, I don't want that. And so I was like, I got really into Christian music because that was where people were talking about stuff like mental illness and lament and, you know, being really hungry for more of God and wanting to go change the world and things. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of an interesting diversion into that, but then eventually went through college, didn't have anybody I was really attracted to, you know, had some 
interest in kind of things, but it wasn't, it was never there to that spark of where I was like going to get in a relationship, especially at that point where it's like, if you're even friends with somebody in college, it's like, you're intentionally talking. Like that was the phrase they use is like, you have to be intentionally talking to them. And then you go on dates together and it's like the you know, group date and they go to loan dates. And then it's like, you're basically engaged by the time that you go on your first date together at a Christian right. college. <laughs> So. Around my spring. <laughs> yeah, ring my spring. There was a lot yep. of ring my spring. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there was a lot of that. Um, and I it was just so much pressure that I was just like, well, you know, I could strategically form crushes on guys so that I could, you know, have this friend group stay together or so that we could, you know, all have fun together because our best friends are dating, or you know, because because it would be good for our social circles or whatever. Like I could see like the very like Jane Austen kind of view of like why people get together of like not that we're like uniting our powerful families or maintaining our property or something, but you know, it's kind of in that like very utilitarian sense of like, oh, people form advantageous marriages because it would be best for them financially or stability or because it's their best friend and you want to live together. Or, you know, like I just could see like so many reasons people were getting married, but just didn't really understand like this drive about like how hard it was for people not to have sex. I'm like, just don't have it. Like, I don't understand. Why is this hard for you? Um, Mid twenties come along and I start, I, I went on a blind date again, great guy, perfect on paper for me. had been set up by a friend who knew me really, really well and had great interests where the whole date we're talking. And I'm just like, we have everything in common. This is amazing. But he was just very honest with me. He was like, I am looking for a wife. I have this plan, this five-year plan to settle down. He's like, I'm not here to just do the hookup culture thing. He's like, I really want somebody who's invested and, and ready to commit. And that's how serious I am about what I want to do in life. And I was like, this is amazing. Great. Like, you know, that's very serious, very upfront. <laughs> but I was like, I don't want somebody who's just playing around too. Like I'm not here to just be your hookup call. You know, I, I, I'm looking for something that's real and adult. I got in the car and I spiraled into depression for about six months. It was a pretty bad depression. I never called him back or went on a date with him again. Um, and I was like, what is wrong with me that I don't feel this? that there, I had the perfect opportunity on my lap to have the successful future. Everybody had wanted me for me. And I just can't, I can't do it. I can't bring myself to talk to him again. In that time, I had some online communities that were in the fandom world, um, particularly like in the Doctor Who world. And Doctor Who is a very queer fandom. And it's specifically, yeah, specifically, it's a very asexual fandom. There's a lot of asexual people who are big fans of Doctor Who because of um, a lot of things we resonate with, with that character. And somebody introduced me, they said, hey, I just discovered this label called demisexual. And I think that might resonate with you from what you're talking about with this depression that you're going through. And so I looked into it. And I thought, yeah, that, that fits. I'm demisexual. That makes sense. Like I had, you know, good guy friends that I had, had been in relationships with. That totally makes sense. And I looked more into it. And then it was like, actually, I kind of think I'm asexual because like I have not had attraction to anybody in 10 years. So I was like, I feel like this is, I feel like I can call myself asexual now that it was like, I was 15 the last time I was in a relationship. And then I went more and more into it. And I thought, okay, good. Asexual people are the people who don't want to date. They're just going to stay single forever. That's not true. Asexual people do date. And in fact, a lot of them, the allo romantic ones, the ones that do experience romantic attraction, often are in romantic relationships a lot. And a lot of asexual resources are about how to date and be in romantic relationships when you are asexual and how to navigate that that's not enough. I, I need, I need more than just the asexual label. So then somebody introduced to me the concept of aromanticism and I went, whoa, that can't be me. Like, no, like I'm, 
I'm just very girly. Like I really love those romantic movies. You know, like I said, I was like, I was like, I don't hate Valentine's Day. I'm not like, you know, one of those kind of women that's, you know, real like anti-men or anything, you know, like that. I'm not, I'm not like that. And as I learned more about it and dispelled those stereotypes, that's not what it is. It's not that you like hate love and want to trash on everybody, you know, and, and that sort of thing. It's, it's just that you don't experience romantic attraction and that can look any way for anybody and any expression. There's people in romantic relationships that are aromantic. There's people who are in platonic partnerships, queer platonic is what we call it, QPRs. And they look a lot like a traditional marriage. And so I thought, okay, a romantic, that, that's the people who want to stay single forever, but it's not. They, they're also you know, long-term relationships. I thought I need something else. I need more than that. And so I went deeper and deeper. So I was like, okay, so I got asexual. That fits pretty well. And I got aromantic, but that's not quite enough. I need something else. And so then I discovered non-partnering. And so, with, and then of course, within the religious community, you add on celibate if you don't plan on having sex. So for me, that just means I don't plan on having sex with a partner ever. Like it's just not in my DNA. I don't, I don't want that. It's not part of who I am. God has not called me to it. If God had given me desire and called me to it, then I would have no problem being an asexual person who may or may not have sex one day. Like, you know, whatever your morality is around that and ethics around it, um, you don't have to be celibate to be asexual and vice versa. But I decided that was kind of a good label for me because it decided my action, not just my attraction. So aromanticism and asexuality and any other bisexual and gay and lesbian, like it's all about your attraction to somebody else. It's not about what actions you've done. It's not like, oh, well, I had sex with a man once, so I can't be a lesbian or, you know, like, <laughs> or like, yeah. oh no, I don't have yeah. enough experience with uh, multiple genders. You know, it's like, oh, I've I buy, but I've only dated men, you know, like you can be, you can have any label. It depends on your attraction to those genders or lack of, not the actions that you've taken in your life or that you plan to take. So I needed something to describe that. So I went from asexual to aromantic um, to celibate. And then non-partnering just means that like, I'm not dating. I'm not looking to get into any sort of relationship right now that I'm very much called to singleness. And like I say, any of these can change anytime and your labels can change at any time. That's a fun thing too, is that like people yep. think like, yep. okay, I've got it. I'm definitely this. And then as they learn and grow and like have more self-discovery and meet more people in the world that they're exposed to, they might discover like actually a different label fits me better. And so I say, this is just what I know about myself right now. This is what is true about myself with the best information I have and the best knowledge I have at this very moment. And so if I meet somebody tomorrow and I'm attracted to them, I might be gray sexual or demi-romantic or whatever labels, but just asexual, aromantic, celibate, and non-partnering is what fits me today. And so I'm doing my work from within that space, but that's just the labels that happen to be on me right now. That's awesome. That sounds like me and my Enneagram number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if you're into the Enneagram. <laughs> Well, the Enneagram helps like. a lot. Yeah. So I'm, I'm an Enneagram three, three wing four. And so I think understanding the Enneagram three helped me to kind of realize why I thought that I had attraction to people before and what those relationships were like for me and what I was looking to have from them. And so I think that once you get into your Enneagram and learn more about it, I think that might reveal a lot to you about your romantic and sexual orientation labels and maybe even your gender identity. I don't know. That's really interesting. I never would have thought like knowing your Enneagram number would be a like a big building block in that, but that makes a lot of sense now that you're saying that now, because it kind of goes down to what are your motivating factors. And so that makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. 
Well, there are so many things that I, there are so many different roads that I'm interested in going down with you based on what you were just saying. I guess one question that I would be really be interested in asking, what are some things you wish people knew or understood about asexuality and aromanticism um, that maybe, I don't know, is a common misconception or something just even in what you shared that's a common misconception that you'd want to kind of expound on? Yeah. Um, so I think the misconception, first off, I just want to reiterate that not all asexual people are celibate and not all celibate people are asexual and vice versa. And then that purity culture also was very harmful to us. And it was not just that asexual people are trying to be pure. It's not about being abstinent and we're not waiting for marriage. It's not like we have a higher ethic than anybody else. It's not about being perfectionists or afraid of commitment or afraid of sex or afraid of uh, intimacy or, you know, like there's all sorts of things that people are like, oh, well, you're just this. It's also not a mental illness. We, we have been fighting for a very long time to get the asexuality mentioned higher in the DSM. And we finally did get, there is a sexual desire disorder for each gender mentioned in the DSM, hypoactive, and I can't remember what the other one is, but there's, there's two that are mentioned um, depending on the gender. And there is a footnote that says if the client or patient um, identifies themselves as asexual and this is not causing distress for them, a diagnosis is not made. However, there's such little awareness and representation for asexuality that like how often is a therapist going to be aware enough of this to ask somebody, hey, actually, maybe your problems with this relationship are not that you have some sort of disorder, but that you're actually asexual. And therapists are very, very undereducated. We really have a mental health crisis with asexuality. And even if we do self-identify and bring it up, um, I have not had this problem that I've always had to educate them about it and what it is. Um, but a therapist might tell you, like, no, that's not a real thing. Aromanticism is just being a sociopath or, you know, like there's all those sorts of things that people, horrible, horrible things people put on us and call us and say that it's a problem. Um, similar in the medical field that we have doctors that we are very afraid to come out to our doctors because they, especially for women, uh, will say like, oh, you have a hormone disorder. And I'm sure it's very bad for men too, that if you go to your doctor as a man and, you know, they're like, hey, do you have any side effects of this medication? Do you have any problems with this? Do you have any problems with that? Then, you know, men are expected to just constantly be turned on. Like you just have to be all of the time ready to go. And that's just not the reality for um, most men and especially not asexual men. So it's a problem in a lot of different communities from education and sex education to uh, mental health, to medicine, to Asexual people and aromantic people are not getting the treatment we need and deserve and the healthcare we need and deserve because we are either we don't know that we are asexual or aromantic and no one has told us and given us that education, or that we know and we are just afraid to come out. And so a lot of times ace and arrow people, that's short for asexual and aromantic as ace and arrow, we will avoid going to the doctor at all. We'll avoid going to women's health checkups every year and getting pap smears and things because we don't want to be questioned on it. And if people say, are you sexually active? Why not? You know, I've been really fortunate that I've lived just coincidentally in very religious communities. So it's not all that 
unusual, I suppose, um, to go in as a single woman and say like, no, I'm not sexually active. And like, oh, you're probably just waiting for a marriage. Like you're so pure, you're so good, like good job, honey. You know, and it's like, that's not what it is. And it's not what it's about. Um, so I think that those misconceptions can be very harmful, um, not just on a level of, you know, feeling lonely or not belonging, but that we're not getting the healthcare and mental health care we need and deserve. And I wish that the church in particular would come around us and affirm us very vocally that it's not just about affirming um, same-sex marriage. It's not just about affirming transgender identity, but that like they are truly affirming of queerness as a whole and difference as a whole. Um, and that's one of the many options for you that God has intentionally made and created people with this difference with asexuality and with aromanticism. Yes, I am curious with your experience, um, whatever you are comfortable speaking to and your own experience with the church, where have you seen that embrace of your asexuality and your aromanticism? And where have you seen that the non-acceptance and how has that impacted your life? Yeah, um, I don't think anybody actually knows about it until I tell them what it is. And so I'm like, I come to a church and I come out and I say, hey, I'm asexual and just want to let you know, am I welcome here? I'm aromantic. Is that something that this church would support? And my current church very much was like, tell me more. And then once I explained what it was, it was like, oh yeah, like we've, we had a youth that identified that way or like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Or that's totally fine. And so I've intentionally chosen an affirming church for that reason, that they're open to learning more and growing and being more and more accepting and welcoming of all people of all identities. But in the past, I haven't been able to come out just for a variety of circumstances in previous locations. And it's been really harmful because I would walk in as a single woman alone and they would say like, oh, like, are you here because your kids in the preschool ministry? Like we have a preschool that goes on during the week. And I said, no, I'm like, okay, well, do you have a kid in the youth group? Like you look really young to have a kid in the youth group. And I'd say, no, I don't have kids. And they would say, well, where's your husband? Like, does he work with somebody here? Like, how did you get here? Like, what does your husband do? I'm like, well, I don't have a husband. And it's like, I feel like the woman at the well, you know? It's like, actually, I don't have a husband, Jesus, you know? And it's like coming to these women um, in churches and, and men too, but especially women and being like, I don't have kids. I'm not married. I've never been married. I'm not interested in getting married. And I'm not interested in dating your son to just try it. And no, it's not a tactic because they'll say like, oh, well, you know, honey, that's when you stop looking. That's when you'll find somebody and you just hang in there. And I'm so sorry you're single. That sucks so much. Like, oh, I'm just praying for God to send you a spouse so you're not sad and lonely and pitiful anymore. And I'm like, what? <laughs> All I did was walk in as a single person and say like, hi, my name is Jenna you know, and that's it. That's yeah. all they knew about me. And they're already like praying for me to find a spouse and they don't know anything about my story or my orientation or, you know, what, my, what I, I want for my life and what I'm praying for, for my life. So that's been really harmful is that even in fairly progressive churches, the autumn, again, a modern normativity is like AMA and a modern normativity. Um, and that is just the expectation that everybody needs and desires a romantic or sexual and sexual together. Uh, relationship in order to be fulfilled and happy and a uh, full even human being that they'll even say things like well sex is what makes us human and romance is what makes us human and you you know you hear that enough and you start to feel like an alien or a robot and there's enough you know that's pretty much the representation we have is that you know that's the aliens and the robots are the only ones that don't end up with the romantic pairings in fiction and 
you know, you start to kind of feel that way that you're not fully human because no one, even within the queer community understands you that a lot of people will say like, well, we need queer rights because everybody wants and needs, and it's a fundamental part of being human in our DNA that we have to have romance and we have to have sex because that's just, we are made to be, God made us to be sexual with another person. And that's a core part of our identity. And like, if that gets you rights, I'm for it. Like that's written into the Supreme Court decision that ended up having same-sex marriage across the entire United States. So great. I'm glad that worked for you. However, it's also really harmful to hear that as an aromantic or asexual person, particularly as a non-partnering one, that like I can't even like pass off my platonic relationship, you know, as as romance to like please everybody. So I think that's it's just a really harmful thing we have is when we put this expectation that like everybody must have romance and sex to be holy, and that marriage is the ultimate sacrament that brings you close to God and makes you a full person. You know, so I think churches uphold this when they refuse to hire pastors or staff members who aren't married. I think they uphold this when we expect all women to want to be mothers or to be one already. And I I think there's a lot of really harmful things that the church has done considering that about half of American adults are unmarried. So, you know, it's it's, uh, really difficult to walk into a church alone It is especially difficult to walk into a church as a single person who has no intention of coming there to date. So I I just think that there's so much more the church could do to recognize diversity and to honor platonic relationships and to embrace a wider view of what God's kingdom is beyond just being focused on family and that sort of thing. You know, when we make church about the worship and the idol of the two-parent you know, two and a half kid, minivan driving, white picket fence, single family dwelling family, instead of about God, then we've started a new religion. This is a different religion when that's what we're worshiping and we're not worshiping our creator and savior and the Holy Spirit um, as a three in one God that is beyond any sort of, you know, restrictions like that. Like Jesus talked a lot about marriage and most of the time it was like leaving your family like blessed are those who leave their mother and father and come and follow me you know if you want to come and follow sell your possessions leave your father's field like you've got to go and he was not particularly telling people like well in order to be holy what you really need to do is find a spouse and have some kids you know that just wasn't really Jesus's agenda and then right after that comes Paul writing all these letters to the church of like how to be good expressions of Jesus's life and how to live out his ministry in your local context and he was single and you know nope. there's there's a nope. lot of about that written and so it's like you have a single Jesus and a single Paul i would posit a potentially a romantic and asexual Jesus and potentially that with Paul as well. We don't know. Everybody likes to claim them for their own, but um, you know, I, I think there's a lot that makes sense about Paul. If you put it in the context of somebody who doesn't know that they're asexual when he talks about sex and romance and he's like, I mean, I guess if you have to burn with passion, it's better to be married than to not, but like, why not just not have sex? Like <laughs> Paul's just all the time being like, I don't understand why you guys want this so much. Why don't you just go and minister with me? You know, like he's just like, I don't really get why you guys want to pair up so badly. And so I think that just reflects my own experience a lot of like their priorities being not necessarily on marriage and babies and that sort of thing, but being on like other things and not understanding that 
other people would want that and that other people would necessarily be called to that. So <laughs> I'm not saying Jesus didn't understand, but I think, I think Paul really did not get it. And so I think that that is reflected somewhat in his perspective. So it's like, this makes so much sense if he's like somebody who did not have that option available to him at the time of being able to say like, oh, this is my identity, but it's not necessarily the identity of everybody. And I'm you know, it, I think it builds acceptance and tolerance when we understand our own experiences are not universal. And so I think the majority of human history, we've been assuming that the heterosexual experience is universal and that people who are choosing to deviate from that are like doing so willfully and they're making that life choice for them. It's a lifestyle yep. of like, why would my son choose to be gay? Why would he want that for himself? It's a horrible life. And like, instead of being like, God made my son gay and that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. And I'm going to help him do whatever I can to get through that. Or my daughter is asexual and I'm going to give her all the resources available to survive as, as a woman without a man's privilege and financial stability and protection around her. And I just think we, we have not had that awareness and clarity in the church to say like, our experiences are not universal. And each one of us is individually called for a unique purpose. Wow. Yeah. That was incredible. <laughs> You're just like preaching now. Yeah. I just get on Twitter and rant all the time and this is what comes out. Let me tell you. It's I beautiful. I love yeah. your, you can rant on the show yes, anytime absolutely. you want. That was incredible. Thank yeah. you. We are sadly coming to a close of the time that we have together. Jenna, I am wondering if there is one thing, maybe one small thing, are cisgender, heteronormative, allosexual, alloromantic people out there. What is one small thing, or maybe a couple small things that people can do or adjust in their lives to make this world a better place for um, asexual people and aromantic people? Yeah, I think that last point really just hit into that is just don't assume that your experience is the only one. Um, be open and listen and not dismissive. Um, I think there's a lot of people who encounter a new term or a label and their automatic reaction is repulsion, that they feel like, oh God, like these kids on the internet, they don't have enough to do or like this guy just can't get laid or he needs to get out of his mom's basement or, you know, like there's all these horrible things that people say to us on the internet. And I'm assuming that that is not necessarily limited to what people are willing to say out loud, that they're thinking things in their heads a lot of like, I don't understand this. Therefore it is wrong and bad. And I think in general in life, like having a broader perspective of like, we worship a God that made that many varieties of birds that wildflowers grow beautifully next to a dumpster in an alley no one will ever see that there is like all speaking no one will ever see think about all the stars and planets that exist out there that we'll never be able to discover because we do not have the limits of our technology to go that far um the stuff that's in our own ocean under our planet that like we're never going to be able to get down there i mean think about like all the bacteria and human genomes like down to like a teeny tiny beyond the atom like we're, we're so far down there of like electrons there are things smaller than electrons and protons and you know i don't know all the science but it's like i think the more you study science the more that you understand about the universe from like the smallest thing you could possibly conceive of to the largest ever expanding universe that's like there are no limits to it because god's god's still creating it like he's in the act of creation right now and i think that you come to me and then say nope there's only men and women 
and there's only straight people and people who are disobedient from straightness and rebelling against God. And, you know, it's like that, like, even if you come to me and say like, no, you're either gay or straight and you need to pick a side, like what? Like, <laughs> how do you see yep. the diversity and beauty of creation that you even look around your fellow humans and there's no two humans who are exactly perfectly alike, you know, even identical twins have some variation, whether it's in their personality or their, you know, moles or whatever, like you, you get scars on your body throughout your life. Like, everybody has some variation and difference and to look at a human being and be like oh yeah I can conceive that there are different races and hair colors and eye colors and neurotypical and neurodiverse and personality types introverts and extroverts and everything in between but I don't know that I believe that there's more than one sexual it's like (laughs) how does that even like logically line up in people's minds I don't know but I would say like that is the thing that if you do fit into the majority culture of being aloe and cis and you know straight and all these things that um put you in the dominant majority of people have a little curiosity that you know maybe it's time to kind of open up your mind and open up your doors and open up your heart and your hands to being able to be engaged with a community that's different from your own and listen a little bit before you make some judgments um, and learn from each other i think there's so much that aromanticism and asexuality have to teach the world and the church about how we value relationships how we prioritize our lives, what we're really worshiping, and just a a really broad variety of things that you'll never get to know unless you get to know us. So make yourself a safe space for that. Yeah, thank you. What are those resources again? We we don't want people to miss those and the resources that you run on Twitter and your website. Yeah, well, the easiest place to find them all in one spot is my Twitter, and that's Jenna underscore DeWitt. And you can find my blog at invisiblecakesociety.com. And I mean, I have all sorts of things. I have a playlist called Rainbow Faith that you can find on Spotify that has uh, music by affirming artists and queer artists that are of a faith persuasion. Some of them are ex-evangelical and have left the faith. Some are still very much leading worship every Sunday in their own churches, but it's kind of Jesus-y kind of vibe uh, music there. So if you're sick of listening to worship by people who believe in conversion therapy, it's time to step on over to Spotify and look up Rainbow Faith. Um, it's not feeling out there, but it will help. So Twitter, Invisible Cake Society. I have a Twitter list that's Queer Christian Twitter. Look that up. Um, that's pretty easy to just Google. So um, you can find me all over the place. So uh, yeah, let me know. Great. Yeah. And we'll we'll throw some of that in the description too. For when yes, this thanks. Goes Awesome. Well, Jenna, it has been so wonderful to have you on the show. I know I've learned a lot and um, I just thank you so much for sharing your story with us and sharing your perspective. It's really encouraged me and inspired me and I'm sure it's going to encourage and inspire a lot of our listeners as well. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Refuge Radio with your hosts, Gaines Taylor and Brendan Bell. Audio production and music were provided by Inclusion Audio, with musical help from Lyndon Braun. Find Refuge Faith Community on social media, on Instagram at refuge underscore faith underscore community, or on Twitter at refuge underscore faith.